You know, we often talk about the fact that vulnerability shouldn't be a dirty word. It's just part of being human. It's part of our humanity. We've all seen the headlines about rising power prices. But what does that mean for some of the more vulnerable in our community? How can we make sure our energy network is actually equitable and accessible? I'm Phil Bourne, and this is What's Next, a podcast from Energy Consumers Australia that explores new connections for a people-powered energy transition. In this episode, Energy Consumers Australia's Director Energy Inclusion Kerry Connors speaks with Kira Sterling, CEO of Thriving Communities Partnership, an organisation that helps make sure all Australians have access to essential services. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks, Kira, for joining us on this podcast. It's really exciting to have the opportunity to talk with you about the great work that Thriving Communities Partnership is doing. Maybe if we could kick off by telling us something about Thriving Communities Partnership. Sure, and thank you for having me, Kerry. So Thriving Communities Partnership, we're a charitable for-purpose organisation and we exist to ensure every human living in Australia has fair and equitable access to essential services and that they get to thrive and live free from discrimination and fully participate. And so we work across a whole range of different sectors. So we're all about collaborate cross-sector collaboration. So we work across corporate, community organisations, and that includes frontline, but also advocacy organisations, government, um, academia, regulators, ombudsmans, humans with lived experience. So we're, we're a systems change organisation. And we work in the space, if we're going to change the system, then we have to have everyone who's part of that system involved in, in that change. So the lived experience part of that is really critical. And we're big believers that uh, we don't want to change the humans. Uh, we've got a really, really complex system. And our role is how do we change that system to work better for our, for our humans? So talking about the humans, who are the types of people that Thriving Communities Partnerships has been helping? So we work in the, across the whole spectrum of vulnerability and, and I think we've all learnt over the, definitely over the past couple of years with COVID, vulnerability can affect anyone. So we, back, in the, back in the old days, people used to talk about that 10, 20% of people experiencing vulnerability, but we actually think it's the other way around and it's more the 80 plus percent of humans across, across the country that experience vulnerability at different times and for different reasons. And there's different factors involved in that. So it could be things like age or gender. Um, it could be cultural background. It could be language barriers. It might be someone who's experiencing family violence, someone who's had a job loss. You know, we often talk about the fact that vulnerability shouldn't be a dirty word. It's just part of being human. It's part of our humanity. And so, you know, you have a baby. Oh, yay, I've got a baby. Oh, my gosh, I'm probably not going to sleep for 30 years. And, you know, you have a, you know, somebody dies and that's, you know, you celebrate. Still, we still celebrate that life, but that's a difficult thing. And so lots of experiences in our lives make us more vulnerable. And I think part of the opportunity for us is how do we make sure that when they're in that vulnerable circumstance, the system isn't exacerbating that and making that worse. And that lines up with the way that we think about the barriers that people face in the market that, you know, the barriers to engaging and being able to get energy at a good price and the barriers can be around where you live or your level of digital literacy or we've done a, a sort of a rough dig into our energy consumer sentiment survey which found that, you know, 80% of people are potentially vulnerable 
to being in financial stress or or facing some other form of problem in securing essential services. Yeah, and you look at the at the moment even with the cost of living crisis. You know, we've seen through organisations like Food Bank, three million households have experienced mm. food poverty in the last twelve months, and a very large percentage of those are actually from working families. So it's not the same. You know, it's it's a changing dynamic, and I think often we think it's that cohort who are maybe on on different benefits or have been in that sort of entrenched poverty and we do have experience have you know a lot of those people having a number of barriers to access but it's also these days your neighbor your cousin your mother yourself so it's it's that anybody at any time especially with what's going on in Australia at the moment oh, that's exactly I know I completely agree can you tell us a little bit about the uh, initiatives that thriving communities partnerships are doing to support people who are experiencing issues with their essential services? Yeah, so look, we work in the, across lots of different platforms. So um, we do a lot of research and we work with organisations in, in sort of changing policies and practices around, um, you know, family violence, financial hardship, prison, um, people with ex- you know, accessibility, um, a whole range of different components of, of where we work. But one of the biggest things that we've probably done and, and probably the I guess the catalyst point is a a system called the One Stop, One Story Hub. So the One Stop, One Story is, as by its name, it's around how do people, we only have to tell their story once and get access to all of the support they need through one service entry. So, you know, there's millions of humans out there that are contacting a whole multitude of organisations and there's a lot of barriers to that and it could be that they don't know the support. It might be that they're just exhausted and their bandwidth is completely at capacity because of everything going on. It might be that there's a bit of shame and pride and embarrassment. Well, they could have had a negative experience in the past and so they th- see this long line of list of organisations that they need to reach out to and that can be a really difficult thing. So the one stop, one story is around, okay, I might ring my bank and and start that conversation and say, look, I'm experiencing some difficulty, uh, but I'm also sitting here in a a house with no power because I just can't afford it. And I've had to ring you from the phone box because I've run out of credit on my phone. And so the philosophy of, of the one stop, one story is no matter where you enter that system, that person on, from that bank can then say, look, with your permission, I might refer, I'll refer you, your, you into the, the hardship program or the family violence program of, of Telstra or Energy Australia, and they can give you a call back and, and provide a solution that can help you. So it's, they can also from that system, you know, connect them into their local community organisation or tell them where their, their local food pantry is. So it's that whole holistic wraparound support. It also addresses that problem that we've heard about from financial counsellors and from other people that, you know, having to jump multiple hurdles to demonstrate that you're on hardship can be exhausting. It can be, you know, really dispiriting for the people who are having to keep justifying why they need that extra assistance uh, and means that a lot of people don't ask for help that that not only is available but that actually they're entitled to. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And I think the message we're clearly trying to get out is, you know, every organisation has services and support services for their humans that's what they're required to do and we also know that most people 
probably don't know that. What we see is there's certain people who have, may have accessed those services before, but how do we find new and innovative ways to build awareness that these services are actually existing? And I think um, that so the hub is a digital triage system, so it captures that person's story and then the next person that picks up that referral, they get a notification, they see that story. And instead of kind of making that traumatic experience for the human to start all over again, they can ring up and say, hi, Kira, you know, we've seen your story. We've got some options that might be able to help you. Here's what we could do for you. And I think that's that that space of, you know, take alleviating some of the pressure off that human in, in trying to access that support and making it easy because it should be easy. <laughs> you know, this is the reality. It should be easy to access help. Well, that's exactly right. You know, people are entitled. There's a reason these are called essential services because yeah. they are essential yeah. to a reasonable standard of living. Yeah. So we need to give people as much help as they can to engage. Um, can you tell us a bit about the organisations who are um, partnering with you on the One Stop One Story Hub and, and what their motivation was for becoming involved? Yes, definitely. So the hub, I mean, it came out of a lot of different conversations. We had a roundtable back in 2016 where we talked about imagine if we all actually worked together and we left competition at the door and we left ego at the door and, you know, we all worked as though we were one team for humans. Um, and imagine if that happened, how could we create this wraparound model? So the, the project was co-designed over a couple of years. Um, we kicked it off just before COVID. So uh, we, we had to sort of rethink that model but I actually think it was a better outcome because it meant that the co-design was a slower process uh, so that the businesses and, and organisations involved actually kind of built a bit of a relationship and, and we, we had a lot of time and space to start thinking about what is right for humans. We also had humans as part of that co-design, so we worked a lot with lived experience. So we had the, the funding partners that, that kicked it off were um, so TCP Engaged, AGL, Commonwealth Bank, Sydney Water, Telstra, Transurban and Yarra Valley Water and our technology partner, Info Exchange. So they were the original cohort of, of funders, but we also had a whole range of community organisations that were also part of that co-design. So we had Brotherhood of St Lawrence, Financial Counselling Network, Financial Counselling Victoria, QCOS, Uniting VicTAS, West Justice and WIRE. So there was a lot of organisations involved. Um, and then there was 30 so 30 co-design organisations in total. And then on top of that, we also had an advisory committee. So we had the ABA and ASIC and ACCC. We had Consumer Action Law Centre, Consumer Policy Research Centre, Financial Counselling Australia, Water Services Association of Australia, Way Forward, and of course, Energy Consumers Australia. So, and then on top of that, we engage regulators, ombudsmen, and we continue to test the, the system with lived experience the whole way through. So it was a whole range of co-design because again, it's a pretty complex thing. No one had done something like this before. So we wanted to make sure we were looking at it through every angle. We didn't want to create a system where there might be a complaint and we hadn't engaged with complaints bodies to understand what we were doing. So it was a, a rigorous co-design and, and it did take a long time, but I think that's where we, it enabled us to get a really, really good outcome for both all the organisations and the humans. You're listening to What's Next for Energy Consumers Australia and we're just going to take a quick pause now from the conversation to speak with Alexandra Bishop who works really closely with the grants program and I thought it would be good just to talk through some important context for people who are thinking about applying for a grant. Good place to start Alexandra. What's the purpose of the grants program? 
Energy Consumers Australia's charter is to represent the interests of residential and small business energy users. And ECA's grants program is a mechanism to provide support for that advocacy activity. What are the focus areas for the program? We like to support a whole range of projects that cover a whole number of issues uh, that facing consumers in the energy system. Uh, We have identified a few key priority areas uh, that represent some significant hurdles for consumers in the energy system. And one would be uh, the problems that we might face as we transition to a uh, net zero uh, energy system. What are you looking for in a potential grants project? Look, it starts with an idea. It starts with what is the big challenge that they're trying to address? What is the problem they're trying to solve? And then out of that is, well, what activities will you be undertaking to address that challenge or or solve that problem? And then what outputs will be resulted? uh, And what outcomes will that achieve? And then what long-term impact will we see? And how will that actually try and improve the daily lives of your residential or small business customers. What's the point of difference of Energy Consumers Australia's grants program compared to other organisations that are offering funding for applicants? So we pride ourselves on our engagement. So we engage with the grants community really early on, if need be. So we're open to receiving, you know, even just ideas, just a thought bubble from a potential applicant, uh, something that might be kicking around in their mind, you know, a problem that they're seeing, an injustice they're trying to address. So people come to us with a really early concept and uh, we engage uh, the entire organisation sometimes, uh, our communications team, our policy team, and we can work with uh, potential applicants around that problem. You know, we can provide different perspectives, uh, different literature, uh, different rationale, and we can work with them to try and flesh out, tease out that idea, flesh out that project. And we find that by doing that, by engaging early, the results are usually, it can be seen that a stronger project is submitted and therefore we're seeing a higher chance of success of of the outcome of that project. So we like to engage early, we like to engage often, so we'll, once the project is uh, approved, we engage across the entire life cycle of the project. We look for ways uh, to help. We identify any challenges, any needs to potentially pivot on a project, and then opportunities to sing their praises, to provide communication support, to look for opportunities to publish good works. So Alexandra, if I'm sitting here with a project idea and I want to apply for grants funding for the project, where's the best place to start? Where do I go? Well, it all starts with an idea. Uh, I would uh, welcome anybody uh, emailing us, go through our website, uh, contact us, our contact details are on the website, and then we can put you in touch with the people who are doing you know, some research on this or that, or, you know, ideas that we might have. Maybe we can collaborate. Maybe we've got some suggestions. It all starts with that initial conversation. Alexandra, thanks heaps for joining us for the Grants Update. And you can check out more about the program and how to apply at energyconsumersaustralia.com.au. Now we'll jump back into the main conversation. 
So One Stop One Story has been running for a little while now. So what are the kind of um, results that you're seeing out of both out of the the hub but also um, for the humans and the organisations involved? So we've seen, um, we've just, I think we've just tipped over about 1,800 referrals this week. So it's been quite, and we, it was quite a lot more than we anticipated. When we first sort of started, we were like, oh, we might get, you know, 10 referrals within the end of the first few months. I think we had our first referral within about two minutes of going live. Um, and so we've had really good responses from a whole range of areas. So the system itself, um, you know, we co-designed it with frontline users because often when you create something, we forget that and they have to use it and and, and that can be a big barrier. So we've seen all of the users have found it really easy to use. They're very passionate about the humans that they're supporting. So we have um, organized, we have community groups, sort of community practices within the hub. So all of those frontline users from community orgs and corporate orgs come together um, at least every month, or sometimes it's every fortnight, to really talk through what they're seeing, what can make things better for those humans that they're all collectively working with. We've seen really great engagement from those humans who have been supported. So the most common thing we hear is, wow, what? we actually just didn't realise businesses cared enough to do something like this. And what we're trying to do as well is a bit of a Trojan horse of the hub is actually building better practice. So one of the, the, I guess, the rules of engagement for the hub is people experiencing family violence, you're not allowed to ask for evidence. We don't need evidence. Mm -hmm. If someone is telling you they're experiencing family violence, we choose to believe them. And so we're creating a trust transference. So they they engage with the first organisation, they have a trusted response with that organisation and they're already more likely to say yes to the next organisation calling them. So we've got about 80% um, response rate of people who have been referred actually picking up the call, which for outbound calls, that's exceptionally high. We've also seen organisations talk about, so one of our, our energy partners have seen that there's actually a lot of those people that are being referred into them. They didn't know they were in difficulty or they hadn't been able to make contact with them. So what we're seeing is really high and up to 90% in some cases of early intervention. And to me, that's one of the magical things. You know, we, we don't want to catch people when they've already fallen off the cliff. We want to stop people from, from going into that crisis point. So we've been able to see, we've got so many fabulous case studies where, you know, we had, I think we had our first five organisation, organisational referral the other day. And it's that whole wraparound support starting to come into play. The other thing we know is that, you know, our community partners are very overstretched. So financial counselling is needed at every corner and there just are not enough financial counsellors out there. And so what we're trying to do is make that process easier for them so they can connect in through one port of call and get access to everyone. So you you can be an advocate or the human themselves can get that support. So we've seen some really good outcomes as far as, you know, the the level of of support people have been able to get. But I think one of our our favourite bits is that trust. People are starting to be able to get that support, trust that system um, and make sure that they're able to stabilise and get back on track. We're also starting to get a bit of data at the moment where some of our partners are starting to track that. So from when people are coming in through referring to the hub, how much, um, how quickly they're being able to restabilise and they're seeing some really good results coming through that. So yeah, that's been a fantastic outcome. I know that, um, you know, uh, one of the jobs of being a financial counsellor is to ring the various companies that their client might have a debt with or might have an issue with. 
So in, um, you know, the hub obviously offers that opportunity to sort of make their job much easier by being able just to kind of register with one and that cascades through the other companies automatically really, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's where it started, actually. It started because we were hearing from our community sector colleagues about this how much effort and work involved there is in actually trying to make a referral. And so the catalyst for the hub was really around, well, how do we make that process easier for our exceptionally overworked financial counsellors and community legal workers and, and family violence workers? What we've actually seen through the hub, interestingly, is what we're seeing a lot of self-advocacy. So probably 80% of the people that are coming through the hub are are engaging with an organisation and they are able to self-advocate if we make it easy for them. And that's also, I think, alleviating a bit of the pressure off the financial counsellors because when they are putting through that referral, again, they're not making those 40 calls. They're they're putting the call out to all those organisations and those organisations are coming back to them really quickly with the right solutions in place, which I think is really critically important. And and I think that goes to that issue of, building trust too that, you know, somebody's going to ring up their um, energy retailer and be confident they're going to get a fair hearing yeah. and that they won't have to, you know, jump all these hurdles to actually access help, that they'll actually get some help fairly quickly. Um, that's a great thing and, yeah. and sadly not as common a thing as you'd like to see yeah. at the moment. So, yeah. And in in fact, energy at the moment is the second highest referral. So um, the, the telcos are probably getting the highest number of referral. Energy is the second highest of all of our partners. So Energy Australia is our, is our current energy partner. And um, yeah, they're at the second top of the list for the number of referrals that, that they receive. So there's also some We love a pilot within a pilot. So (laughs) we have water companies and energy companies um, that are both part of the hub as well. So we've got different grants that if you can get, for example, an an EARG, an ERG in... um, Utility Relief Grant. Utility Relief Grant in Victoria. Uh, So if you're eligible for energy, you're eligible for water. So we're also, with the permission of the humans that they're serving, saying, okay, well, actually you can get a water grant. Um, I'm going to transfer you into Energy Australia and you can get so they can process a grant for you. So there's quite a bit of cross-referral for some of those concessions or grants that are that we also know people are not accessing. So we're trying to sort of use the system to say, well, where else do we think that that might be useful to do some of these referrals? So uh, we've just started that pilot um, a few months ago and it's already been really successful. So from the corporate organisations, the, the essential service suppliers who are involved in the hub, What's the feedback you're getting from them about their involvement and their enthusiasm for keeping on going? Yeah, the, the retail organisations are, are really, I think there's so many benefits that they're seeing. And one of the major benefits is actually vicarious trauma. So, you know, people who are sitting on the phones, doesn't matter which, whether you're a corporate or a community, if you're speaking to a human and they're experiencing trauma, that's having an impact on you. And we often heard from frontline workers in corporate organisations that they were like, oh, okay, well, I helped with my bit, you know, I might be at the water company and I helped with my piece of water, but they're sitting there telling me that they can't afford food and they're, you know, like sitting in a dark house. And I couldn't help them with that. And so through the hub, they're actually able to, so one of the components that we built into the hub, and part of that was deliberately about vicarious trauma, was that when someone did a referral, there was a notification back to them to say, yes, I've picked up that referral and yes, I've supported that human. So that there was a bit of a closing of the loop. So we have, um, I think one of the, 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 what the businesses are seeing is that their staff, uh, you know, we've seen NPS scores go up 
um, and positive customer satisfaction scores go up, but actually there's been a lot of cultural benefits. So people that are participating in the hub are getting to see that whole wraparound support. They know they're doing the right thing, but they also know that the other partners involved are doing the right thing and that that person is actually getting all of those supports that they need in that one spot. And it's also building relationships. So it's building stronger relationships and trust between corporate and community organisations, but also between some of those retailers because, you know, someone in a in a, an energy business doesn't want to transfer a customer if they think that that next organisation isn't going to do the right thing by them. So part of that working together is about making sure that we all trust each other to trust that we're going to help that human. So we have seen great things like, as I said, early intervention. We're seeing really good customer um, feedback around how helpful this has been. We are seeing it have um, positive impacts on things like debt and being able to put safety flags on the account so we're not inadvertently causing harm. But, you know, a major part of this is that that those humans that are on the phones are actually more protected themselves because they're not hearing those stories at, at the same level that they were, but they can also provide greater supports. So I guess then the next step is to ask about next steps. So what's the plan going forward for One Stop One Story, but also for the partnership? So we've, we're now in the expansion phase. So we started off piling it. We did want to test, does this actually work? Will humans use it? Will businesses use it? Does it actually get better outcomes for those humans and organisations? So we've gone through um, a year and a half, nearly two years now of piloting that. Um, and when we, we've just included, as I mentioned, since um, August last year, financial hardship. So we're also learning a lot. Uh, we've got a whole range of categories, I guess, that you can select. We're seeing uh, affordability and cost of living. So family violence is our highest referral because we've been doing that for longer. We're now seeing affordability and cost of living, underemployment um, and unemployment and health and disability being in the next top three um, referral pathways. So we're continually looking at um, what what data are we learning from the hub, um, but also expanding the hub. So we had a, a small cohort of organisations that we started with to do that testing. That's already expanded. So we're continually bringing on new partners into the hub. If we want to reach every human in Australia, we need to reach every organisation, um, every service organisation in Australia. So we're continuing to do that. Um, and then also looking at what the future iterations are. So one of the things that, that we're looking at is, again, where is there a wraparound response most required? So things like natural disasters, uh, people coming in and out of the prison system, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and, and those bespoke services that, that businesses are starting to engage in, um, people from multicultural communities, people with language barriers, what are those spaces where the system's really letting them down and how can the hub be used as, as one of those tools in the toolkit to, to make it easier for those humans to get that support? Kira, obviously Energy Consumers Australia is focusing on the energy side of the equation. Yeah. How many energy retailers are supporters of One Stop One Story? So at the moment we've got Energy Australia is our energy provider in the One Stop One Story hub, but we want to expand that. So what we have seen is, as I mentioned, that that Energy Australia is receiving the second highest level of referrals. So that tells me there is a big need. We're also seeing a lot of the, the financial hardship um, referrals coming from that energy and water sector. So I think the more energy organisations we can get involved, and again, because we are seeing an early intervention, a very strong early intervention arm in the energy side, the more energy organisations we can get involved, the hub, the more we think we're going to be able to make a difference for those humans. So 
I think, again, any organisation that that in the energy space that, that wants to be a part of this, we're very happy to have a chat to you. But also because organisations like Energy Australia are so passionate, I know they'll be happy to have a chat to you as well about the benefits it's it's had for their humans, their staff, but also for the customers that they're serving. So, um, yeah, it's a critical part of our equation. And also energy is across all the different parts of the country. Um, and so I think that's also a key component, making sure that we're connecting into all the different, if you look at the map of where the referrals are happening, they are happening across the country. And there's a lot of space across the country where we don't have energy represented in some of those states. So the, the more in it we can get energy involved, the happier we'll be. Kira, that's all been great. I, you know, One Stop One Story has been an initiative that I just think has been a wonderful innovation in this sector um, and such a clever, one of those things that's so clever that you can't understand why we didn't think of it before. But I'm just wondering what's the one thing that um, you would like the audience for this podcast to, to hear and take away? I think really it's around our collective responsibility. Our community has faced so many different disasters, so many crises, this cost of living crisis. The only way that we get out of this is by working together, collaborating and owning our responsibility. There are a multitude of humans and organisations out there that need support and we need to make it easy. We need to be talking about support. We need to be destigmatising that support. We need to be at every opportunity we can, making sure people know that help is available and it's easy. And then we need businesses to make it easy. So what my call out is, we will be better if, if we work together. If we break down those barriers, if we break down those silos, we make sure that the right training is in place for our organisations, that we are continually listening to the community sector and, and really understanding the complexities that our humans are facing and then really working on programs that actually help people. We will be okay if we work together, but if we don't, we won't. And we're seeing that through the cost of living crisis at the moment. So my call out is learn as much as you can, share as much as you can, work together because our humans need it and our community need it. No, I think that's an amazing way to end. Thank you very much, Kira. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all the work that Energy Consumers Australia does uh, as well and for, for being a huge supporter of our One Stop One Story. What's Next is brought to you by Energy Consumers Australia, the national voice for energy consumers. Thanks to Kira Sterling from Thriving Communities Partnership for joining us for this episode. The interview was conducted by Energy Consumers Australia's Director Energy Inclusion, Kerry Connors. Production and editing was by the team at Lawson Media. If you're interested in contacting the show, please send us an email at podcast at energyconsumersaustralia.com.au. I'll also put some interesting resources in the episode show notes. I'm Phil Bourne and I'll speak to you next time.